Welcome to the Securing the Homeland with Zero Trust podcast hosted on Government Technology Insider. I'm your host, Matt Langan. In May of 2022, the National Institute of Standards and Technology, or NIST, published a white paper entitled Planning for a Zero Trust Architecture, which defined zero trust principles and discussed the developments and implementation of the architecture. Whether it's supporting a hybrid workforce or responding to an emergent mission, the agencies of the Department of Homeland Security face challenges when identifying a security framework to support the new environment. Zero Trust Architecture can enable DHS and their sub-agencies, as well as their workforces, to become more adaptable and help deliver secure connectivity, regardless of the mission or the environment. In this episode, we are speaking with Mike Bukowski, who is the Security Domain Specialist at Verizon, and Nate Smolinski, who's the Head of Cyber Intelligence Strategy at Netscope. More about this. And Mike and Nate, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Good to be here. Yeah, great to have you both. And let's just jump right in at the top. So can you explain the architectural principles of Zero Trust, especially from the perspective of CISA and the NIST framework? And we'll start with Nate on this one. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Again, thanks for having us today. Before getting into the specific principles of Zero Trust, I mean, I like to kind of try and simplify this too, because we hear a lot about this uh, you know, in the industry today, whether you're on the vendor side or whether you're within an agency or on the commercial space. I mean, quite simply, the overarching goal is to really move towards the removal of implicit trust and to focus on these pillars that we're going to talk about to move towards really enabling explicit trust for how we operate, right? It doesn't matter where we are or what we're trying to do. So from a CISA and NIST perspective, the pillars really are thinking about, you know, the core pillars are the identity, the device, your workload, your applications, the data, and all of those are really underpinned by, you know, kind of these cross pillar concepts that are important that bring into key elements across all of those pillars, like visibility and analytics, automation, orchestration, and really kind of the governance of how this process needs to work. And I kind of like to look at the governance element really, or that aspect of it as more of like a feedback loop, right? Enabling us to continuously learn and improve the processes as we go. You know, that's sort of the perspective that I have. Awesome. Thanks, Nate. Mike, anything to add to that one? Yeah, no, that's really good. And I agree with the pillars and so forth. When I think about it or look at it, it's sort of a move of the architecture from a location-centric kind of model to something that's more, you know, data-centric approach. And, you know, to sort of dovetail that as well as that, you know, access control is more granular or as granular as possible. So in addition to those pillars that Nate mentioned, it's just the idea that what you're looking at, what you're looking into, what's going on is just done at sort of a uh, finer level. Yeah. I totally agree with that. I love that, the idea of that concept of sort of the inversion, right? We used to tether everybody to the data center, you know, to make things work. And now it's kind of the other way around where the user, no matter what mission they're on, is kind of the center of the universe. And we have to make those services work no matter where they are. So yeah, great point. Awesome. Great, guys. And let's talk about challenges. So what challenges do DHS, as well as their sub-agencies, face when it comes to deploying a zero-trust architecture? And we'll stick with Mike on this one. Yeah, wow, that's a good question. You know, no one likes change. And, you know, zero trust, whether you call it least privilege or zero trust, is certainly a change from the way uh, business was being done or network security was being done, you know, 10 years ago, et cetera. So I think the first thing that any organization is going to have to deal with is just that there's a change to the organization's viewpoint 
our culture to cybersecurity. It used to be, hey, you're inside the firewall, you're inside the perimeter, you're a good guy, you're a good gal, you know, have at it. And, you know, clearly, whether there's some situation where someone's being nefarious or just being negligent, cybersecurity nowadays just can't, you know, can't deal with that sort of thing. So moving past like the cultural and people sort of adopting the role or adapting to the role and moving more towards the physical, there's legacy systems out there that an agency is going to have to deal with. Is it a rip and replace? Is it an augment of some sort? What do you do with your existing equipment? And, you know, how will it fit into this new strategy, if you will? And then probably the most basic thing is where do I start? Well, you know, the best way to start in this case is clearly is, you know, with an assessment. And it's sort of been our experience at Verizon with looking at the assessments that we've done and so forth and looking at agencies reporting. You know, they're about 35% there to begin with. It's not like anyone's starting now from ground zero. So I think to add, you know, to the cultural sort of thing is you have to, I think, as a as a CISO, et cetera, is impress upon the people like, yeah, there's gonna be change here, but you know, we're not starting from the very beginning. We're we're somewhere in this change as it is. Great. Thanks, Mike. So what are some of the obstacles to the adoption and implementation of zero trust with respect to homeland security as well as their workforces? And yep. we'll go with Nate on that one. No, I think well, Mike hit on a lot of these points already, but I'll, you know, kind of take it a little bit further. And, you know, the first thing I want to make, and Mike hit on this uh, a little bit, is really that every agency and sub-agency is going to have some technology capabilities today that are going to lend themselves to going down this path, right? So it's not throw everything out and start anew, right? Because we know that that can't happen. So the getting started point, you know, getting that assessment done and really understanding sort of where you actually have some opportunities for success is really great. And, you know, with that comes varying levels of maturity for those capabilities that you have. You might have some things, but they may be very disparate in nature, right? The technologies that you have. And it doesn't mean, again, to throw them all out, but you have to have your eyes wide open about the maturity you're ultimately setting out to achieve because you might get to a point where you've achieved a certain level of maturity, right? And then you have to really start considering what, you know, maybe consolidation and an additional technology investment that you need to make down the line to kind of leapfrog where you are and get you to that next level. I think that's really important to understand going into it as you, you know, kind of try to adapt it and get the best or most out of what you have today. The second point, Mike also hit on this too, is the legacy IT challenge, right? I mean, there are so many boat anchors that, you know, every agency has, they've been dragging them around for a long time and that doesn't make it easier. And in many cases, you know, as part of that strategy, it really has to be a cultural shift, right? It's got to be a team sport, right? So the challenge of like trying to drive this out of a siloed organization is never going to work because some of those legacy boat anchors that we talked about, you know, you're going to have to work with organizations that may not want to get rid of that application or sunset it or may not want to refactor that application, but that might be the best path forward to adopt these principles and actually make this possible. So I think, you know, really... You know, the key point is it is cultural. That's a challenge that's going to require collaboration. It's going to be a team sport, right? You're not going to be able to do this, right? We have to be able to work through this in a consistent manner because it is such a major shift and everybody really has to be involved. So all of those elements around kind of where to start, the strategy, you know, how to kind of pivot around some of those potholes, so to speak, with legacy IT, you know, it really is going to take people, right? And that's that's going to be the key challenge. 
Yeah, great insights there. So how does Zero Trust help DHS and their sub-agencies be agile and, of course, quickly shift their security posture, say, when a major event occurs, like disaster preparedness, you know, use cases, if you will? And we'll start with Nate on this one. Sure. I think the key is really kind of thinking how you're able to bring together a great deal of visibility and continuously adapt to decision-making based on that information that you have available to you. So if something changes in a mission environment, in a specific theater, you shouldn't have to like call up and open a ticket to do something or to stop something. I mean, sure, those processes, those sequential processes of the past will be there for certain things, right? A certain critical processes, but like there has to be the way to gain the automation, the orchestration and the insights out of this process to move beyond that sequence nature. There's a lot of friction and a really poor user experience for those involved in a mission who are impacted by legacy process, right? And we need to be able to be much more agile in those situations as they change. So the goal here is to use that visibility and all of the data that you're really bringing together to be much more adaptive from a risk-based decision-making process. And that'll enable you to handle those changing requirements in any theater while at the same time limiting those new risks that pop up, right? So it's not just like, hey, let's just make everything easy, which is in many cases what we saw during the pandemic. It's like, oh, the VPN is overloaded. Let's just let everybody into RDP. Like, we don't want to do that. We want to be able to safely enable the business or the agency, however they need to actually operate or however those employees need to operate in the field or whatever theater they're in. Excellent. Thanks, Nate. Mike, anything to add to that one? Yeah, no. Nate covered a lot of it, there's no doubt. But if you stop and think about like disaster preparedness or just dealing with an event, if you're, you know, if your home is in good order, and if not anything else, zero trust lends itself to putting your home in good order, your business in good order. If it's in good order, then when something bad happens, then there's that much more that you can fall back on and rely on. If you haven't done this basic blocking and tackling and you're already having issues within your network security, et cetera, you know, something unrelated to network security happens, then all of a sudden you have a much worse situation immediately. Now you have two bad things you have to deal with. So, you know, from the standpoint of being prepared for the, uh, the event that you don't anticipate, if you have a sound foundation and zero trust lends that certainly from the security aspect you're better off to begin with. Excellent, excellent. How can DHS build on its guidance for agencies when it comes to zero trust architecture now and into the future? This is kind of our last future-focused question, and we'll actually start with Mike on this one. Sure. So, you know, zero trust is a program. It clearly is. But as I mentioned before, it started out, you know, originally as, as uh, least privilege, et cetera. Through its deployment, you know, now and in the future, things are going to change. And, the, you know, DHS has to maintain its capability and guidance with these changes. I mean, how many people had, you know, bring your own device on their network 10 years ago, 15 years ago? Not many. Now, you, with the, uh, the young employees we have in particular, you know, you have to have that accommodation. And so there's always going to be a change. And in the context of change and so forth, you know, DHS has to keep up with their ability you know, for guidance. I think one way they've done it clearly right now is they have a central repository. As they call it the Trust Resource Hub. And that's something that they've, you know, they put a lot of work into. It's something I can tell you I've gone into, and it's been uh, informative. And I think they have a good basis for being able to adapt to change going forward. 
Okay. Okay. Nate, anything to add to this one? The future focus question. Yeah, I think Mike covered a lot of the points that I would like to make, but I'll just say that, you know, I think the biggest thing is that it is a journey, right? This isn't, you know, if someone says we need to execute this in a set amount of time, it's really not something that is done in a time-bound way. It's going to continue to evolve as the agency evolves, as the mission evolves, as, you know, sort of the working environments evolve. It has to continuously change with it. There's not some magical tool that can ever be just applied to it. That's not how it works. And it's going to require that collaborative approach and planning and execution for the long term. So again, it's just not a once and done initiative. And it really just becomes a set of principles that all future development and all future programs need to consider as they execute you know, their components so that that way that collaboration is happening across the board and you don't start to create more silos down the line that then need to be rolled in and you know, create that retrofitting challenge down the line. So it's, it's just something that, you know, is going to require a, a big cultural shift and a lot of collaboration to execute. All right. Well, this concludes the Securing the Homeland with Zero Trust podcast hosted on Government Technology Insider, where Mike Bukowski, who's the security domain specialist at Verizon, and Nate Smolensky, who's the head of cyber intelligence strategy at Netscope, were kind enough to share their insights into how DHS and their sub-agencies can best secure the homeland with zero trust architecture and much, much more. And Mike and Nate, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Thanks, Matt.